And, and it also is very convenient and, and very efficient. But I think over time, it's just chipping away at what it means to be human. Um, to put it in, a, in in a simple terms, it's dumbing down our humanity. And I, I think as a Christian, we, we should be very, very concerned about that as as people made in the image of God to reflect his image. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Christ and Culture. I'm Ken Keithley. Today we'll have a roundtable conversation on artificial intelligence with Eddie Wu, Derek Sherman, and Jeremy Peckham. And after that, we'll have another edition of On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines like sports, news, pop culture, whatever, all from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, let's talk about the news. And the news is this, our Exploring Personhood Conference is back for 2024. Coming next February 21st and 22nd, 2024, we're excited to bring back the Exploring Personhood Conference for its third year. And this year, in keeping with our theme of challenges to humanity, we're going to talk about some of those challenges at this conference. We'll talk about mental health, identity, technology, life, civic engagement, and how our faith informs how we respond to these challenges. We're excited to have guests such as George Yancey, Liz Hall, Jacob Schatzer, John Wilsey, and Fuzz Rana to talk about many of these challenges to humanity. Again, the conference is February 21st through 22nd, 2024. If you want to learn more, you can go to our website, cfc.sebts.edu. You'll find some information there, or we have a link in our show notes. One other interesting uh, thing about this year's Exploring Personhood conference is we've got an additional event in conjunction with the conference. We're excited to have uh, Molly Worthen with us for a dinner on that Wednesday, February 21st. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a special dinner. She's going to tell about her story uh, of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, a skeptic, an atheist who is uninterested in these things, but she came to faith in Jesus. That's an additional event at our conference. So again, Exploring Personhood Conference back February 21st, 22nd, uh, 2024. You can go ahead and register now for as little as $10 uh, for this special conference. And now let's head on to our Christ and Culture conversation on artificial intelligence. Our theme this year is Challenges to Humanity, and throughout the year we'll host panel discussions on issues that are related to those challenges, and today we begin this series with a panel discussion on artificial intelligence. We have with us Eddie Wu, Information Systems Manager here at Southeastern, and he's pursuing a PhD in apologetics and culture. Derek Sherman, who's a professor of computer science at Calvin University, and Jeremy Peckham, 
a businessman, an entrepreneur who spent much of his career in artificial intelligence. Uh, Eddie, Derek, Jeremy, let's start off with uh, just uh, briefly going from person to person, talking about your experience or your exposure to uh, artificial intelligence. Eddie, start. let's start with you. Yes, sir. So I work as the information systems manager here at Southeastern, uh, particularly in the IT field. So my experience with technology tends to revolve around technology as it's being used in day-to-day stuff, particularly more simple AI, we would say. And I also deal with technology from a more philosophical perspective. And that's kind of the majority of my writing in apologetics and culture have been dedicated towards the AI field. So I'm dealing more with questions that are philosophical in nature, such as what is AI? How should we use it? And then that kind of leads into more ethical questions that come from that. Yeah. Uh, Eddie, tell us what your dissertation is, where you're headed with your topic. Well, my dissertation is actually on uh, video games, surprisingly. And that actually does utilize AI as well. As we know, computer games and NPCs utilize AI to think and to interact with the player. Uh, But I'm actually dealing with a more fundamental question with my dissertation on what is a video game? And then if we know what a video game is or its ontology, how does that then affect how we think about it? And how does that impact the way the video game affects us as players? Fascinating. Derek? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in AI. Uh, I think it was just a little over 20 years ago that I was uh, working on a on a PhD in electrical engineering. And uh, the lab I was working in was a computer vision and robotics lab. And at the time, there were a few of my fellow grad students who were tinkering with uh, using machine learning instead of sort of classical computer vision methods. And it seemed to me that it seemed like a very attractive way to solve the vision problem, you know, rather than meticulously, you know, computing all the 3D world to 2D sort of image plane sort of geometry calculations and all the meticulous camera calibrations that were sort of involved for normal computer vision work. One could actually just have a collection of training images and use machine learning in order to, well, in my case, in order to help a robot determine position. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was really struck by the power of the machine learning approach. Uh, later on, I went to teach at a Christian university, and I had a, a modest research program where I began to think about how could I use machine learning for good. And I started, you know, at the time, a lot of work was being done in um, things like face recognition, which seemed to me to be full of, you know, ethical, moral pitfalls. And so my students and I uh, began some work looking at the visual sorting of recyclable goods, looking for really uh, what I might call redeeming sort of applications of machine learning for computer vision and robot vision. And then more recently, I've sort of shifted kind of like Eddie into the more philosophical, theological kind of thinking about integration of faith and computing and technology and AI. As a professor at Calvin, we're expected to integrate faith and learning in our discipline. And so I think computing, there's lots of technical work being done in computing, but not a lot of perspectival work being done in computing. And so uh, in recent years, I've sort of shifted more to thinking about how then shall we compute, you know, uh, in terms yeah. of uh, AI and so forth. So that that's sort of been my journey over the last two decades or so. Well, that's fascinating. And both Eddie and you have used certain terms that we're going to come back to. Uh, One term that you used a couple of times is machine learning. 
and uh, mm-hmm. we're going to want to know more about that. What 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 exactly you mean when you when you say uh, use the expression machine learning? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about your technological journey. Well, I guess I'm probably the uh, grandfather of AI in the room. <laughs> I got started in uh, this area. It wasn't fashionable to call it artificial intelligence in the late 1970s, early. 1980s, but my uh, field was computer speech and uh, natural language understanding. And I spent a good deal of my career uh, working uh, on solving that problem, um, actually in the very early days of what are commonly called neural networks. Uh, so we were using statistical techniques, which I prefer to, to refer to them as. So we developed uh, some of the first what were called continuous speech recognition systems like you uh, commonly experience with Siri or Alexa and so on. So that was uh, my introduction to to AI. And then I did a a spin-off company from uh, a company that I was working for to to start my own company specializing in this area. We were probably, I guess, 15 years too early. Uh, largely because of lack of compute power, lack of data to do to do training. But uh, fast forward to uh, the last decade, I guess, and I, I've really switched to writing. I, I have a book, which I, I mentioned at the end, uh, which is really focused on the ethical issues of artificial intelligence applications, what this stuff is doing for us, but also what it's actually doing to us. And I come at that from a, a, a Christian perspective with a, a Christian um, biblical foundation to how we should be thinking about this technology and its impact on us. So, yeah, that's that's my background. It's fascinating to hear about your work in voice recognition, because about, I guess, 20 years ago, I was one of the first to purchase software uh, that for voice recognition, uh, because that was the... You know, that was the amazing, cool thing. And as someone who was always having to uh, take notes, write notes, the idea of being able to dictate what I'm reading to text was exciting. But there was a world of difference between, as you pointed out, the, the capabilities of voice recognition software 20, 25 years ago to what it is today. And it had to learn, especially a theological vocabulary, uh, yeah. The one, uh, whenever I remember the first time that I sa- uh, said the expression, mm-hmm. uh, the Christological heretics, and it 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 put down crystal like the glass, logical, <laughs> hairy ticks, and <laughs> it was it was, and so it was, yeah. um, it was, it, it, it's moved light years in the last 20, 25 years. It's just yeah, been yeah. amazing the kind of development. So we throw around the expression artificial intelligence. It seems to be this huge bucket that has a lot of things in it. So I was going to ask what exactly is AI? Uh, that may be uh, almost impossible to ask. What fits within AI? What what does AI mean? When you use the expression, what do you mean by the expression uh, artificial intelligence? I, I think it's probably better to think of it as a discipline that in, encompasses a whole range of techniques and, and applications. Uh, I, I guess I would see it as the quest to try to mimic what we think humans have, the intelligence that that, that humans have. And it basically is based on machine learning techniques 
and the ones that seem to work the best are statistical-based uh, processes. So in that sense, I personally prefer not to, to use the term artificial intelligence because I think it imputes to these black boxes something that uh, they, they really don't have, and that is intelligence. They, they mimic what seems to be intelligence in humans, but it's actually not the same thing. Um, and, and that becomes very evident when you get experienced with, with using chat GPT-4 or, or any mm. of the, the modern systems. When we think about AI, we know there's generally the two categories. There's a strong AI, the weak AI. <clears throat> and so in some sense, from a technical standpoint, we would say all technology is AI. Your phone, your computer, the software on your computer, even though it doesn't seem very quote-unquote smart, it is still AI at the end of the day. It is a computer program that does one specific task extremely well. And so in that sense, we would say it's a weak AI. It does one thing very well, very specifically. However, we also like Mr. Peck has talked about is with the strong AI, that's the one you see depicted in movies where we try to see AI with human-like characteristics, or it tries to replicate humanity, something about humanity, our intelligence, our rationality, our thinking, our emotions. And so I know there's that new movie that just came out, The Creator. And if you've seen the, the trailers for that, it tries to do something similar, it says that AI has developed very, very human-like capabilities and properties. And so AI tries to go in that direction. But yet what we really have today is nothing more than just weak AI, computer programs that do one thing extremely well. I think, you know, that a lot of people have defined AI as the sort of simulation of human intelligence by machines. But I, I too, am a little uncomfortable with the, with the, with the term artificial intelligence, because it does tend to anthropomorphize technology mm. a little bit. You know, I like terms like data science or statistical computing or or stochastic computing. Like, um, mm -hmm. I, I think those might be more descriptive of really what's going on under the hood. But I think modern modern AI is is typically a form of machine learning, which sort of combines computer science with large large data sets in order to solve problems. Um, and uh, and I think that's been the one thing Jeremy talked about being fifteen years too early in the speech world. And, and that's the one thing I think that most recently has given AI a lot of advance was just the access to very large data sets. It, yeah. it, it's quite remarkable that, you know, you can combine very large data sets, pattern recognition, <clears throat> you know, statistical analysis. And, and, and it's amazing actually what you can do. And, and basically it's using statistics to mimic different things. Just start rattling off examples of where it's in our lives today. Like, I mean, we're right now talking via Zoom. I'm sure there's some type of artificial intelligence uh, very much involved in just the recording of this podcast. But for the typical listener, where would be places that AI is touching their lives on a daily basis? I would guess things like Alexa, Siri, uh, social media. Uh, you don't see uh, AI so much in, in social media, but it's under the hood. It's actually mm -hmm. influencing your behavior. And many of us regard it as, as, as being quite toxic in the way in which it manipulates users. So that, that are, those are the typical ways that people are experiencing it. And, and more recently with uh, search engines like Bing, which now in integrate uh, 
what we call generative AI, things like chat GPT. That's where people are going to be experiencing it day by day. What would be some of the other places that some of you would want to mention? Yeah, uh, recommendation engines, you know, um, mm-hmm. things like, uh, well, even just a regular Google search uh, employs mm-hmm. AI. And so I think we encounter it in a lot of different places and, and increasingly so. And, and a lot of times it's behind the scenes as well. So some of the more troublesome areas are things where AI begins to be used in terms of deciding who gets hired, you know, sifting through resumes, uh, determining who gets parole, determining, you know, who gets a bank loan. Mm-hmm. These are areas where AI, you know, can sort of creep into uh, issues of, of justice and bias and so on. And, and a lot of times these are also black boxes that we really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And so that's that, that's one sort of modern modern concern as AI begins to find applications in all of these areas as people try to basically find more efficient ways of dealing with things. But sometimes, um, you know, we, we find that AI also leads to certain types of problems with bias. On my phone, I have uh, the facial ID, you know, turned on. So I don't have to t- type in my code every time. So I just, you know, it looks at my face, lets me in. Same thing with my finger for my MacBook. Would you consider those examples of AI? Would you consider that, that kind of recognition to be what you're talking about? Sure, I think uh, facial recognition is using machine learning techniques, um, and it's it's very much uh, part of of that umbrella. Yeah, I was just thinking that um, you know one of the, Derek's just raised one of the the, the issues that I guess is uh, important for us in our discussion is that the challenges that this technology is bringing um, because oftentimes we're not aware uh, of its use. It may be a black box that's there um, determining, you know, somebody's eligibility for parole or your your credit worthiness. Um, but I think there are some some other ways, subtle ways as well, in which it is challenging uh, not just justice and fairness, but also what it means to to be a human being and. One of my big concerns is that many people are just not aware of what this technology, or should I say more the applications, what they're doing to us rather than what they're doing for us, which as Derek pointed out is is always uh, efficiency, convenience. That's that's one of the reasons that we, we tend to use them. But there are some real challenges, I think, for us. Uh, Jeremy, you talked about this idea of the the black box, which I think is very prominent in AI right now, especially with computer technology, where people just simply have no idea what goes on inside the black box, right? Yeah. So when we have a technology, we use it and it gives us a certain output. And so this could be even something as simple as like my refrigerator. Like if you have one of those smart refrigerators where you can select something on it or it can give you a recipe or something like that, right? That That is technology. That's AI at work. But we have no idea what's going on under the surface. Now, to be fair, the smart refrigerator is really just a silly example. There's really not a lot going on there. But when we expand it to things like the justice system, to prisons, to job applications, well, now this is affecting significant parts of people's lives. And so now this gives us worry at this point as to what AI could be influencing, because we simply don't know, at least from the everyday user standpoint, what is going on behind the scenes. I don't know where my application went, or I don't know 
who is processing my parole or my sentencing, because maybe the AI is doing that, but I don't even know what the AI is doing. So that may be a significant concern, just this idea we trust the AI because we don't understand the AI. And and it may even be even more you know subtle than that. I mean, even our refrigerator, potentially, if there's AI being used in a refrigerator, is collecting data. And is it sharing that data with a company? And then how is that data being used, you know, in terms of targeting us with advertisements? I mean, AI can also be used to find correlations between certain things. I mean, it may be that people who purchase a lot of bananas also are susceptible to certain types of, <laughs> um, you know, other prompts. So, I I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's sort of the, this weird thing of how this data is also being used and then how it's being used perhaps in ways that we may not even be aware. So, so, and, and a lot, because AI is driven by data, that this data is being hoovered up by companies in all kinds of different areas. They, they give us free services, but really what they're doing is they're, they're building their cache of data and then they're going to use it in some way to, to monetize it. And uh, yeah, I think it's important for everybody to realize that anytime an app is given to you for free, you are the product. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you, you are, you are what, uh, Yeah. Um, it's your information that they're, that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can imagine one of our listeners thinking, you know, asking this question. So are your concerns with the way that bad actors might use AI or are you concerned about AI in principle, you know, AI as a thing in of itself? So which one of the two is your primary concern or is it just all, all of the same? I, I think it's both. Sure, um, there's a real problem of of bad actors using um, generative AI for fake news, fake videos, things that look completely authentic, and you don't know whether it's true or not. In fact, I think one of the biggest challenges for us now with the current generation of AI is what is truth? What is reality? But I think that the impact is not just from bad actors getting hold of this technology, but it is also the way in which it changes what our perception is of being human. We become addicted to these things in subtle ways without really realizing it. And suddenly uh, we get to a point where this technology is actually controlling our lives, where we're losing authentic relationships, we're losing um, critical thinking skills, we're losing creativity because we're letting uh, some AI black box generate images and pictures and drawings for us. Um, We're using ChatGPT to write letters or emails. And and it all seems very convenient and, and very efficient, but I think over time it's just chipping away at what it means to be human, um, to put it in, a, in in a simple terms, it's dumbing down our humanity. And I, I think as a Christian, we, we should be very, very concerned about that as, as people made in the image of God to reflect his image in the world. Uh, I think we should be concerned about how this technology may be chipping away at that. Yeah, no, I would just echo a lot of those points. You know, I, the, the harmful uses I'm concerned about, how it can be used to propagate misinformation, manipulation of public opinion, deep fakes, you know, um, autonom- like a, creating malware and scams. So there, there's all these different ways that it can, it can be um, weaponized, let's say, or misdirected. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but there's also the ontological confusion, you know, as we begin to deal with machines that mimic people, there's an ontological kind of confusion where we're sort of confused about what is a person versus what yeah. is a machine. And I think that that's a significant thing. And I, I always tell my students, don't create machines that use the word I <laughs> or, or try to appear like a person, you know, make a machine that is clearly a machine, but, but intended to help people. And quickly, I would add, you know, um, um, I, I, what I find really helpful is this distinction between structure and direction. You know, this idea that AI is part of the latent potential in creation. It's part of the possibilities in creation. And it can be directed in ways that honor God and that can show love to neighbor. I mean, the beneficial uses of AI are, are manifold as well. You know, it can be used in medicine and environmental monitoring, assisting people with disabilities, enhancing traffic safety, these sorts of mm -hmm. things. Um, and so the, the the question isn't AI, whether AI is evil or whether we need to reject AI. It's how then shall we use AI? How do we use AI in ways that glorify God and show love to neighbor and care for the earth and its creatures? That's the question. And, and that's the way we need to point uh, our students and, and the way that we need to, as Christians, um, um, you know, engage this this particular area. Well, that kind of brings up the next question about what what do you see coming up on the horizon and how can we think well about it? And that may be an impossible question. I mean, when when the Internet was developed, who could see it, uh, what all the impact it was going to have are the same thing with the smartphone. Whenever the smartphone was was invented, who could have perceived something mm. like Uber and other apps that that are developed? Same thing with social media. Um, I can remember back when social media first started and everyone thought it was this unmitigated good. Each each of those developments sort of uh, serve as a cautionary tale. What do you see coming up on the horizon in AI and how can we think well about it? There are two things that come to mind. One is what has been called more interactive AI. I think of it more as um, more connected use of AI. So at the moment, you can, for example, ask questions of, of, of chat GPT, but it, it doesn't have any agency to go away and do something for you. I, I think that's going to change. We're going to see systems that you can interact with that will book uh, airline tickets uh, and do any number of things for you as a complete um, personal assistant. Mm. And I think that will have quite some significant impact it will raise issues moral issues of agency uh, that's a big topic that we probably don't have time to to go into but i think the the second area is you some of you may have of heard of the uh, initiative by johnny ive and uh, sam altman uh, quite well known figures in the us to generate sort of ai in your pocket the next uh, generation of, of phone. And uh, I think one can envision that that will be a technology in your pocket that will just mm. act almost like a personal assistant doing all sorts of stuff for you. And uh, that, you know, that really could be quite a revolution in terms of how people interact with the world around them. And I can see some some real dangers again of ending up with a machine in your pocket that pretends to be a human being. And, and that will just change how we think about human uh, interactions and our desire to have human interactions. And 
already there, there are people sort of preferring to interact with machines rather than real people. And, and I think that's a bad thing. I see it in two areas in the future. Again, we're sort of prophesizing here, so who knows how right we are on any of this. I Deuteronomy see it 18 the, will not apply right. here. Nobody's going to get stoned. <laughs> At least not today. <laughs> so I see it in uh, two areas. One is the images, uh, the doctoring of images to where we don't know what is actually real and not real. Right now, there are ways to sort of get around this, but as it becomes more sophisticated, we can see more and more deep fakes, images that are just edited in such a way that to the average viewer, they would have no idea that this was a doctored or edited image, right? And so this kind of goes to Jeremy's point with truth. How do we know what is actually true anymore? And this is not even including things like the generative part where we're generating images on top of text now. And I believe there are developments to not just generate images with AI, but to also generate video with AI. So we're expanding even beyond just the text to image, but now into full scale video. So now we question things like creativity and um, the uniqueness of media. Can we create movies anymore? Or can AI just do that all for us and it be the same production value? And what does that mean about its messaging that these media bring to us? And then the second point I would bring up would be uh, the concern about work. I know that's been raised by books such as A World Without Work, where people are now concerned that if AI can do the work, the simple work, even physical labor at times, or even just data processing that we used to have humans do, what does that do for vocation? Where do people find their meaning and their and even their finances from if they can't do the work? I know one fear that's been talked about has been the, well, if AI becomes so great, then the only jobs that are available are technology jobs. But those require a certain level of skill and expertise to be able to work with technology. And not everyone can do that. And not only that, those jobs are even fewer and, fur and farther between. So if that's all that remains, what does that mean for humanity in terms of work? Are some people just left jobless because computers have essentially overtaken their abilities to do their job. So I would say, I think those two those two places may seem to be concerns for me moving forward. Yeah, um, Ken, to answer your question, I I, um, I always think of Yogi Berra's quote, right? It's it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. And um, <laughs> I, uh, but I, I, if I look at AI and where it's going, I think we're gonna be seeing a shift. I mean, this is just a prediction. So take this with a grain of salt, but a potential shift might be from moving from learning by imitation, you know, what we call generative AI right now, to moving to more learning by interaction, you know, and, and having machines that are able able to not just generate content uh, like we're seeing now with uh, with ChatGPT and so on, but but uh, learning by interaction so that machines can work in the real world more effectively, you know, and, and we will see advances in robotics, autonomous vehicles and so on. And, and I see potential there for, for some good things as well. Again, like all technology, it can be directed in ways that are obedient and helpful. And, and you know, I, I, I see jobs where machines can take over more and more things that are dull and dangerous and dirty, you know, things that we don't really want humans to be doing. Uh, I think there's lots of assistive technologies that could come from, from, from machines that are able to interact in the real world more. I think of Fred Brooks, who's a famous computer scientist, uh, passed away in the last year or so. 
was um, a well-known computer scientist who, who long ago, actually, when he received the Turing Award for computer science, he, he, he in a speech, observed that he believes that IA is greater than AI. And by IA, he means intelligence amplification mm. or augmentation, having machines work alongside us rather than just offloading everything to machines, but finding you know, finding out what do machines do well and what do people do well, and then and then combining those sorts of things. And so the, the, the move to learning by interaction may open up opportunities for co-bots and for assistive bots um, that don't, you know, presume to be companions or, or replace relationships or so on, but just help us uh, in ways that that can be really, really redeeming, I think. So, um, of course, there are there are all kinds of ways that this could go wrong. Uh, but the move from learning by imitation to learning by interaction might be a way that AI might go in the future, um, if I had to guess. Yeah, and, and let's. And my hope and prayer is is that the church will be able to think well and, and wisely about these issues, that we will be able to um, use technology wisely instead of being uh, dominated by technology. This may be an opportunity, hopefully. Uh, for to go to Eddie's point about the job market, perhaps uh, craftsmen will be a, a premium once again. You know, AI cannot fix your plumbing. Uh, AI can't, uh, you know, build a, a a a table for you from hand. So hopefully, craftsmanship will suddenly will will, will have a return to value. Um, also, uh, to your point, uh, I hope that maybe. The church will will uh, be a beacon and an example of how true human interaction and uh, one anotherness uh, cannot be replicated. There's a world of difference between something that's living and something that's lifelike, and that we as the church can show the the value of of living out our faith rather than just settling for something that's lifelike. I want to thank uh, Eddie Wu and Derek Sherman and Jeremy. Peckham for taking part in this conversation. Gentlemen, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Southeastern wants you to be equipped to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. That's why we offer our Master of Divinity degree, which provides rigorous biblical and theological training for your current and future ministries. Our Master of Divinity offers broad ministerial training while facilitating a deep engagement with the Bible, all within a textual community that focuses on spiritual formation and ministry preparation. Come be shaped as a Great Commission Christian and experience theological education to the fullest. Visit sebts.edu forward slash mdiv to learn more. And now it's time for our segment on my bookshelf in which our guests tell us what they're reading now. So uh, Eddie, Derek, Jeremy, what books do you recommend about artificial intelligence or what book are we reading now? How about you, Eddie? Sure. I'll start with a book called Artificial Unintelligence by Meredith Broussard. Um, it's a very popular level book, which is why I really like it. Um, but Meredith basically takes the reader through her journey of what is AI, and she actually makes the argument that AI is not intelligent. It actually doesn't replicate humanity's intelligence. And and actually, to kind of make it easier, her argument is AI is actually quite dumb. 
uh, computers are quite dumb. They just do one thing and they do that thing really well. And so because of that, they'll never be able to replicate humanity's uniqueness about us. So I recommend it. It's a very easy read. It's a great introduction to the field of AI so that we're not worrying about things like the Terminators or the apocalypse coming up, but rather we're focusing on what is AI in and of itself. It is a computer. It is a program. And if we can understand the basics of programming, that then helps us to maybe begin to understand the more complicated things like we talked about with machine learning and neural networks. And the, and the name of the book is? Artificial Unintelligence. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Jeremy, how about you? Well, I guess I'd like to uh, plug my own book. <laughs> Excellent. Masters or Slaves? Question mark. AI and the Future of Humanity. And uh, in it, I really set a biblical foundation for how we as Christians should think about this technology and cover particularly the theology of Imago Dei, what it means to be made in God's image, and then address six key areas uh, of our humanity that I think are potentially being dumbed down by the way in which we sometimes use this technology uh, and then set out uh, at the end a Christian manifesto for the things that I think we should avoid and things that I think we should be cautious about. It's called Masters or Slaves, AI and the Future of Humanity. It's published by IVP. And uh, Derek? Yeah, I'm I'm currently reading a book which isn't directly about AI, but I think sort of fits into the, the, the sort of context of AI. And that's the Walter Isaacson's new biography of Elon Musk. I'm I'm only about halfway through it, but um, I think it's an interesting story about how tremendous technological change can happen, about the the wonderful accomplishments that human beings can do, but also about our our brokenness. And uh, and 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 I'm only about halfway through, but you know, Elon comes across as a brilliant person, but kind of a tragic person as well, and. Um, and and some of the some of the themes and trends are ones that I recognize. I, uh, I I failed. I didn't mention earlier, but I spent about nine years as an engineer in industry, and sort of experienced sort of the small high tech startup world, and uh, and so and so yeah, I, I recommend that book for sort of an insight uh, into the stories behind some of these technologies. And then another one that uh, I think hasn't gotten a lot of press, but it, I, I found is a really helpful book. It's called The Mind and the Machine by Walter by uh, Matthew Dickerson. It's yes. a wonderful sort of philosophical book about what, what are the philosophical presuppositions behind AI and what are the implications of those presuppositions? So if you're sort of philosophically inclined and he comes at it uh, from a very, uh, uh, you know, unapologetic Christian perspective, and he's also an accomplished computer mm -hmm. scientist. So he, he, he knows of what he's speaking about. And then briefly, mm -hmm. uh, if I may, I, quick, I, I, I don't like shameless self-promotion, but I also have two books if people are interested. One is called Shaping a Digital World. Uh, and then another one I co-authored that just came out in the last year is called A Christian Field Guide to Technology for Engineers and Designers. And they're both published by IVP Academic. Well, those are fascinating recommendations. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. Um, do you have a website or... Uh, how can uh, people follow you or your work? Yeah, I have uh, my website, jeremypeckham.com. Also, there is another website called mastersorslaves.com, which is a uh, online Bible study, short uh, Bible study course with uh, video introductions and downloadable 
Bible study resources. That's mastersorslaves.com. And then for myself, jeremypeckham.com. Yeah, I, I have a faculty webpage. Um, you can find it at sites.kelvin.edu slash Derek. That's sites, S-I-T-E-S dot Kelvin dot edu slash Derek, D-E-R-E-K. And there's a whole bunch of publications and articles and blog posts and also some talks and videos of uh, of some uh, lectures that I've given and uh, and some other fun little things too that you can find it. I'm not nearly as important as Jeremy or Dr. Shuman. So all I have is a Twitter account, Joel Shear. It's just Eddie Wu 74 if you want to follow me. To be fair, most of my Twitter just consists of me complaining about my LSU football team and the New York Jets. But every now and then I will post something about technology or maybe an article or something that I've noticed on the side. Yes, but Eddie, I find them uh, your tweets very uh, amusing. Uh, so, so uh, very good. Thank you all, and thank you all for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed it, give us a five star rating and a brief review on your favorite podcast platform. We'll see you next week. <laughs>